In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. That's there. Okay, go here. Oh, there we go. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody's having a beautiful day. Hope the sun is shining. Hope the birds are singing. Hope the wind is at your back. Got the one and only Matt Brown. And for those of you who may not know, let me tell you a little bit about this gentleman. Matt Brown is an, is an illustrious individual, a seasoned entrepreneur and founder with a dynamic career spanning 25 years, hailing from Cape Town, South Africa. Matt has made Denver, Colorado his home base, driving positive change in the business community. As the visionary host of the global acclaimed Matt Brown Show, he has skillfully conducted over 850, ladies and gentlemen, 850 episodes featuring influential guests from diverse backgrounds. A three times Amazon best-selling author and recognized among the top 25 most influential people in technology, Matt's mission is crystal clear to foster growth and impact in the world of entrepreneurship. We're going to learn all about it today. Matt, thanks for being here, my friend. Appreciate it. Yeah, brother. Good to have you. Uh, well, good to have you host me. <laughs> I think is what they say, you know, but uh, yep. lo loving your energy, dude. And um, I think from the moment uh, you and I connected, it was like this two kindred spirits, you know, like doing interesting things. And yeah, man, so I'm stoked to be here and, and you know, excited to to see where this conversation goes today. Yeah, man, it's it's a it's a good one. I've been a, I've been a fan of the show, man, and I, I really when we began talking initially, we started started really talking about what you can learn by hosting other people and stuff. But before we get too deep in there, man, I want to give people a little bit of background. Maybe how, like, how did you end up in Denver from South Africa? Maybe you can give people a, a, a kind of a quick pro quo idea of how that happened, man. Mm. Um, yeah, man. So basically everything really positive in my life. That's, uh, you know, especially in the, in the world of entrepreneurship and, and things like that has come through my show. 
And, uh, and the reason why I'm in the US is also through my show. Um, I think I was doing uh, like it was like episode 62 or something silly, you know. Um, and then by the time I got to an episode, it was like 107. The guy that I interviewed on episode 62 in Johannesburg was now living in uh, Austin, Texas. So I was like, hang on, how did that happen? So then he's like, dude, there's this thing called a person of extraordinary ability uh, green card. So I'm like, oh, yeah. And so he's telling, you know, he's explaining me this whole thing. But basically, you have like nine categories uh, that you can qualify in. It's like research. You have to be like a brain surgeon or someone in something in business. Or you have to have like scholarly articles published and all this kind of stuff. But basically, you don't need to qualify in all nine. You only need two uh, categories to qualify in. But you have to submit evidence to support that you're extraordinary. Um, so I sent like, you know, a dozen magazine uh, <laughs> dozen magazines with me on the front cover and like, you know, 36 letters from CEOs saying I was extraordinary and <laughs> basically submitted this massive body of work to a lawyer out in Florida. And, you know, but with these things, you don't think that there, it's ever going to happen. And, and, and my dream was always to like live in the States because I, I do believe in the American dream and coming from South Africa, trying to build a business there is a real clusterfuck. Yeah, <laughs> like serious <laughs> problems uh, against you, you know, from day one. Uh, which you don't have in America. So anyway, so I submitted all the stuff and uh, I was driving home from work one day and I uh, just got the message from the lawyer and he's like, dude, you, you know, you got your, you got your, your extraordinary <laughs> ability green card thing. So I was like, holy shit. So I came back home and uh, told my wife and it was like probably the best reaction I've ever seen her have. She literally like jumped up and down, like crying, you know, my poor kids now he's, he's crying cause he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Um, but uh, it was a beautiful day, man. Because suddenly, you know, we had uh, an opportunity that very few people actually have. It's actually quite difficult to get to the U.S. Um, and uh, so to be here and now with my platform and, you know, everything that I do and that I know, you know, I'm super grateful to be here, you know. Yeah, it's fascinating to to get to hear stories like that, because for a lot of people, they they get up and they go to work and they and they live in this this idea. Sometimes the dream has been conditioned out of them. And I think mm -hmm. that that's something people, I want people that listen to my show. And I know that people listen to your show. They have this idea of the dream is possible. And that kind of leads us into the character of, of today's ideas, like this idea of behavior. Man, how, how had that trip influenced what you've done? Has, did your show change dramatically when you came to the U.S.? Or did that particular situation fundamentally shift how you maneuver in your environment? Um, no, not really. Uh, I think it gave me access okay. more than anything else, you know, because I mean, I was already doing while I was back in South Africa, I was really, I ran out of talent basically locally. I had mm. all the sharks from the shark tank. And uh, so I had to go international quite early on. And so I said to my producer one day, I was like, go and get me the biggest names you can get. Go, go get them. And that was their thing. And I had a team dedicated to going and getting me the biggest uh, names out there. And then that's what grew the show, really. Um, but it's kind of like you'll they would they would say at the time, you know, um, Jeffrey Moore is based out in Chicago. Where are you based? And no, no, he's in South Africa. It's like, well, what time zone is that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is that East Coast? It's like, no, it's not East Coast, dude. It's like plus nine hours. <laughs> so that's what I mean. It was like you were, you know you were doing shows at obscure times of day yeah. and uh, and night. But now it's kind of like, well. Where are you? I'm in Denver. Okay. Where are you? I'm on East Coast or West Coast. It's, it's, you know, the the access is much, much easier. 
Um, so I think from that perspective, it's much, much better, but certainly from, you know, um, the, the show itself and the platform itself and what it was always trying to do, that hasn't changed in 10 years. Um, and now I got my stats through uh, Spotify yesterday, done uh, 222 episodes just in the last 12 months. <laughs> so access is important, you know, so we've been, we've been more aggressive, if anything. Yeah. Um, and we, I'm sitting on a, sitting on a backlog of uh, shows that haven't even gone out yet. So, um, so yeah, so certainly from an access perspective, yes, but other than that, just doing more. It's fascinating to think about, you know, it, and when you sit in the chair of the interview, you really get to learn a lot about the people with whom you're speaking. You get to learn about some of their attributes, some of the ways they see the world. But you know, what's fascinating to me is what's it like to be the guy behind the mic? And you and I spoke about this a little bit. You know, I'm sure that you can see lots of different qualities in the people that you speak to and some similar threads. But what's it like for you? Like when you sit behind, you're talking to billionaires, or you're talking to people that built these things. Have you noticed certain things about them in yourself? Like that, it's kind of meta, you know what I mean? When you're interviewing mm. somebody, you, it's almost a mirror. How do you how, how do you see that relationship? What do you learn from it? Yeah, man. So I think the show has been really transformational for me. So when I started you know, podcasting, I sucked at it, you know. Um, and also, <laughs> I was like, I was also I was also an introvert, so I didn't really like spending time with strangers, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and they would be CEOs, and so I'd have to like script right. everything and and this kind of thing. And but eventually, the more I the more I spoke to people, I kind of got over myself in the sense of I got over my own imposter syndrome. You know, I was like, oh, I'm not I'm not as good as that shark from the Shark Tank. I'm not as intelligent as that billionaire, or that guy, or that girl. Must that New York Times bestselling author? They must be special right? Like better than me, surely, right? I mean, otherwise, how would you become so successful? And then the more I did it, I realized like, well, no, like there's actually no difference. <laughs> there's literally no difference. I mean, it's literally like it's timing and there's factors that, you know, that uh, are conducive to you achieving any kind of measurable success and what have you. And, and things like perseverance also very important, yeah. um, you know, but, but certainly from a who am I? And who are they? And are they better than me? You know what I mean? Like this, yeah. I'm a competitive person. And the answer very simply was no. I mean, they've they also lost businesses, you know. They've also failed many, many times. Um, they've also persevered, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so that's why people are successful. So I think certainly like I was trans I became the guy who was interviewing influencers, and then I became the influencer. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It I was know like exactly a weird too. thing. It was a funny thing and it happened really quickly. I mean, yeah. I think even on my, on my hundredth episode, I mean, to think now we've done over 800 of these things. Um, on my hundredth episode, I was on the front cover of Entrepreneur Magazine. You know what I mean? Um, so now what? <laughs> so it's like you get these levels or plateaus of uh, success, quote unquote. Um, but as I said, the more I do it, the richer I get. The, the richer I get in perspective because – um, and, and, you know, that's actually what my value really is. It's like, uh, I, I use this analogy of like, if you think about B2B, go to market, everyone's either marketing the problem or the solution, but they're not actually marketing their value. So if you think right. about the show, what would the problem be? Oh, you're an entrepreneur. You need to get your story out there. Okay, great. So that's a problem. Uh, so a solution or well, I'll interview you on the Matt Brown show. 
Yeah, there you go, 100, 100 <laughs> countries around the world. There you go, exposure delivered. But is that really my value? No, it's not. My value is in the is in the eight hundred episodes that I've done before, and you know yeah. what we're doing now is we're transcribing all these things and creating a custom GPT app that's uh, so that business owners, or entrepreneurs anywhere in the world can access the knowledge of all these CEOs. I mean, we've covered so many aspects of business, but in a fraction of a second because who's got time to listen to hundred or eight hundred episodes? You know, so yeah. that's what I mean by is, that's my real value, and so. I believe that if you're rich in perspective, you can always generate wealth. But if you're poor in perspective, you'll always be poor. Um, and so that's that's really what it's about. It's about having a perspective that has been cultivated over a decade, you know, thousands of hours interviewing these guys about how they've scaled companies and how they've raised money and how they've failed, you know. Um, and so that's that's really what the the magic is now. It's this holy shit. You know, yeah. think about that. It's like this perspective, and no one else has that. You see, um, so, so yeah, that's what I would say here. It blows my mind. You know, there's this saying that I like. And forgive me, I don't know who said it or where it came from, but it's it's something along the lines of, the deeper inside you go, the bigger it gets. And when you mm -hmm. explain the idea of creating what you're creating about, taking this incredible depth of knowledge from the people you've interviewed, it's like you're taking each person you interviewed as like a puzzle piece and you're putting them together to make this incredible mosaic, you know, where people can come and mm. look at and take in information from it that maybe you or me or people don't even glean, but they can pull something else out of it. And it's mesmerizing to think of the way in which building relationships on that level is becomes its own thing. Like at mm -hmm. some level it becomes its own thing. And you, like that would never be done unless you had that many episodes, even though you can get the insight from the individuals. It's a whole other world when you put all that together for other mm -hmm. people to interpret. And it kind of seems like that that's the world we're moving into is that this mm -hmm. collective information that people can draw from it. How do you see the future unfolding? Like that's one example of it. And you're kind of mm -hmm. pioneering that. What are, What is the way you see the creator economy moving forward? Like you pioneered that. Is, is there other strands that you can pull on to kind of speculate on how things might move forward? And what yeah, expect? it's a great question, and Thank I don't you. think there's a simple answer to it. You know, <laughs> um, I think that again, I think it's about thinking about. I mean, let's be honest. Any any prick with a phone can create a video, right? Uh, so yeah. when you say the creator economy, what does that mean? Well, what does it mean? Or let's start with creator. So you have to be creative around how you approach solving problems, how you communicate, how you work with AI. As an example, you know, we're, my team actually sent me an AI avatar of myself sitting in the studio. <laughs> Crazy. You know, um, and it was like, it wasn't me, you know, yeah. and it, but it sounds like me. So imagine I had like, you know, avatars that could speak Spanish and Chinese and French and every language in the world sitting on top of this knowledge capital platform app thing, GPT app, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, and now I'm able to really scale my value, you see. So that's what I mean by creative thinking against complex problems, you see, because I think people get, they fall into the solution trap of, well, I need a YouTube channel. Do you? <laughs> like, do you really want to be the the next Mr. Beast? Like how much, uh, you know, is that is that what it's about? You know, um, or, or are you just trying to copy what other right. successes look like, you see? Um, and so when you think about creator, what does that really mean? Well, for me, it's about an, it's a way of thinking. 
So as an example, I actually shared this with one of my team. I was like, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to do these avatar things and, you know, build this GPT app. And he was, he's a youngster. He's like yeah. 24 years old. And he says, dude, no one's thinking like this, you know? Um, and he, but he finds that valuable because he's like, shit, like this is exciting. Like what can yeah. you do with it? You see? Um, and so over time you have to be comfortable with pushing your own limits around what creativity actually means. And yeah. with AI now, I mean, you know, this is the other thing that's a bit annoying is that every startup in the world now is an AI company. Um, but, but so it's, but it's commodity, it's a commodity already. I would say everybody has access to GPT. Everybody has access to, you know, uh, models that you can import into your own AI custom GPT app. Like we all have access to the same stuff. So then if that's the case and it's all commoditized, what's the difference? Well, it's about how you think about it. So for me, yeah. don't market yourself as an AI enabled thing. Just market yourself, or, you know, with in terms of like what you can do creatively with AGI or, you know, we, we can produce, a, as an example, we can produce a best-selling book 300% faster than anyone else in America, probably the world. And we do that by creating a body of content, video content, and then running those transcripts up through GPT to create literally a book in a matter of, of a few hours. You see what I'm saying? But yeah. then you've got the other guy, okay, who's, who couldn't find six months to write a book. If you, if you spent, if you wrote 500 words every single day, seven days a week for six months, that's how long it would take you. So most business leaders don't have the time for that. So what do they do? They pay a ghostwriter 25 grand, 25 to 250 grand to write them the book. And then the book comes back, doesn't sound like them. They're pissed off. They're frustrated. And the whole fucking self-publishing space sucks. Right? <laughs> so, but it's a disappointment. It's a disappointing thing because you, like everybody has this knowledge capital, right? They have uh, a subject matter that they're an expert in, or they have a body of work that's, you know, gathering digital dust. Um, and so my point being, it's, it's not about the technology, it's about how you creatively think around the applications of these things, because that's what, that's where real value is, you know, and everyone's like, oh, problem product, problem product. And it's like, no, dude, what's your value? You know, think about that. And then economy, the economies of scale now are so huge. Like they're so, so huge. Like I wish when I was 26, I, was, I wish I was 26 again, seriously. But I wish I had my perspective, you know, that mm. I could then have the time to then do things. Um, and so it, it, the economies of scale now are, are immense, especially with AI, especially with AI, that you're now able to create literally like so many. If you have an idea, you can bring it into reality literally within a matter of hours. That's how amazing the world is today. And so when you think about the creator economy, what's the opportunity? The opportunity is, well, what are you going to do about it? You see? Because here's the thing, people don't start. They don't start. They're like, oh, I'm not good enough. Uh, I've got a fear of failure or my last business failed or I've got nothing important to say. No one would want to listen to my podcast, The Matt Brown Show. You know what I mean? And then suddenly that all changes. So if you get over yourself and you go, well, what's the opportunity? What can I do with it? And you go and you execute on it, then you can make magic happen, literally. I love it. You know, it, there's... The fear of anything seems to arise when you're doing nothing, but when you're creating, when you're in the act of something, you don't have time to be afraid. You don't have time to, to be worried about what people think about you. When you're in the act of creation, you're creating, you're making things happen. 
The suffering comes from when you sit back and you're like, wait a minute, is that good enough? You start second guessing yourself. And I, I couldn't agree more that right now is one of the most prolific times for anyone to begin creating their vision. You know, I, and I never thought about it, but you're right. You can bring something to fruition in hours. If you, if you're focused and you're driven and you begin creating and you get in, you really dive deep into that act of creating, you can, you can put a video online in a matter of minutes. You know, there's no reason why the video someone makes today couldn't be viral tomorrow or viral in an hour, you know, and it's this momentum that gets building. And I think, what do you think about the individual becoming their own brand? When we look at some of these monoliths today, we can see that some of the ways they only continue to grow is just by, by gobbling up all the small things. But if you look at the Matt Brown show, here's an individual with a team that can rival like a multi-million dollar company. You know what I mean? Like a, with a with whole HR team, like your small team rivals a whole corporate team. And like, that is an incredible thing to see. It's like a real life David and Goliath story. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess the people seem to think that, you know, personal influence doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, or personal brands don't matter. An interesting story. Um, the show, the Matt Brown show, wasn't actually called the Matt Brown show in the beginning. How's that? It was called the Digital Kung Fu Show. And one of my mates, uh, Richard Mulholland, he's a professional speaker. He speaks around the world. And uh, he was one of the first guests on the show and stuff like that. And, and uh, he was part of an entrepreneur's organization. So he was sitting there in the chapter, and the chapter president says to all these you know, super wealthy business owners, um, and he says, you know, what are your favorite podcasts? And so they, people are like, yeah, Joe Rogan, you know, da, da. and then one guy's like, and the digital Kung Fu show. So Rich is like, he phones me and he says, Matt, this is just, this is literally, this has just happened. I don't understand why it's called the digital Kung Fu show. Why is it called? I don't understand that. Why isn't it called the Matt Brown show? And this is episode 64. Um, and, and, and then I was like, I don't want to call it the Matt Brown show. It's like, cause it would have my name attached to it. That'd be weird. <laughs> you know, imposter syndrome again, activated, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to rebrand it. And so I did. Nice. Best thing I ever did. Best thing I ever did. Because if it was called the digital, like, like who, what, why <laughs> are you uh, teaching digital marketing? You know what I mean? Mm. It, you, you're literally owning real estate that, isn't as valuable as the one that has your name attached to it. Like if I, I actually believe that everyone should have their name as a .com. You must have that. Uh, like I've got mapfrancho.com. And then on that domain, you should have all your authority. So if you go to my website, you'll see all the books. You'll see thought leadership stuff. You'll see who's been on the show. You'll see the stats around the show. And basically when you go, I get feedback like this all the time. Like, dude, I love that video. I feel like on the homepage of your website, I feel like I want to run through walls afterwards, you know? And so the, I, the association of my name, my personal brand with authority and credibility and trust, okay, in my domain is what makes me different and the show different, you see? And so everybody should be thinking about, well, what, do, what can I brand with my name to allow me to scale my influence. And a lot of times people don't do that because they're like, they're too scared, you know, but every, every professional speaker I know has this. 
every major podcast in the world I know has this. And so if you are a solopreneur and entrepreneur and you're looking to scale your influence, that's like the first thing you do is go and get real estates in the digital world that will be exclusively owned by you that then you can uh, use to amplify uh, your story, get attention <clears throat> and drive credibility. I mean, everything that I do around uh, opening up, like I can get into any CEO, dude, like anyone. Um, I could talk more about that. Um, but the first thing they do is they go to the website. Who is this guy? Why should I listen to him? Why should I go onto a show and give him my most precious thing, which is my time? Right. And so that's what I'm saying. Like your question is around like personal influence, personal branding and yeah. that kind of thing. It's essential, dude. It's essential. Um, it's not about taking personal brands and putting it into like marketing because that's not what it is. It's purely there to give people a sense as to what you're about without you being in the room to tell them. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense that people, people want to take a good look at whether it's a product or a person and they can make their judgment on it. Is this worth my time? Is this something I can be affiliated with? Is this something that I want to be around? It, it makes, it makes really good sense. You know, um, when you talk about influence, what does it mean that you can get into any CEOs personal, or not personal space, but what does it mean you can get to them and have them come on your show? Maybe you could talk about that. Like how does that happen and mm -hmm. why do they want to come on your show? Yeah, man. It's a good question. So when I arrived in the States, I actually lost all my network. Like mm -hmm. I, didn't, I literally didn't know anyone. Right. <laughs> it was like pretty weird. When you know everyone, now you don't know anyone. And you're in a much bigger fishbowl. Yeah. Um, and I, but I did have the show. And so I sent a thousand emails to uh, startups in California who had raised a million dollars or more in the preceding 12 months. And I just sent like a simple email, man. Like, hey, my name's Matt Brown. I run a popular business show. Love to talk to you. You know, give you some free PR exposure. You know, we've had these guys on the show: New York Times best-selling authors, Navy SEALs. You know, Jeffrey Moore, Steve Blank, all these guys, super ding dong thinkers in the startup space. <laughs> and then I put uh, I put my um, calendar link there, and I went to bed. Literally, dude, I didn't think like you know was I didn't right. know what was going to happen. Woke up the next morning, I was, I was uh, and I, I shat myself. I was literally just like, holy shit! I've got 190 booked interviews. I was literally booked for six weeks solid, man, like from nine till five for six weeks, Monday to Friday. That's how much influence the show had over that particular demographic. And what did it cost me? It just cost me an email, to, like the time to write it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then I was like, holy shit, what is this? What do you call this? Like, why is it working? Um, and I was like, you know what it is? It's influence. It's about this idea of, uh, being able to elevate others, not elevate myself. So I could have gone, hey, my name is Matt Brown. I run a popular business show. You know, pay me $1,000 and I'll interview you. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I do. But then who's, who's elevating who? You know what I mean? I, with yeah. that, in that example, I'd be elevating myself financially before, yeah. you know, giving them access to my platform. So... Instead of doing that, what I then did was, was I used the relationships to then commercialize, hmm. like afterwards. So I was like, hey, man, and now, of course, they've told me what they're struggling with. They told me what their vision is. They told me how much money they've raised. They, they've told me stuff that isn't in the public domain, much of it anyway. Um, and so now I have this network of business owners, 190 literally 
with it with one email send and so that's what i mean by influence influence is not about yeah. elevating yourself it's about elevating others and so then that's that was really when the the lights went off and i was like holy shit that's actually what it's about because people seem to think that influence is about influencer marketing that's basically what the difference is so if i had taken a thousand dollars for a 60 minute interview i would have been being paid right for them to get access to my audience it's literally influencer marketing um, but it sucks it's the worst type of thing like you're never going to have credibility with your audience if you're just like selling yourself every day today i want to promote this uh, ceo and he's got an incredible story or you know this author guy is amazing it's like no <laughs> people will switch up for that shit. you know so i've never taken a, a cent for advertising for i've never taken a sponsor manscape contacted me recently and they're like yo i'm like no no <laughs> sorry for you that's not what it's about i don't know anyone who likes to listen to adverts you know um and so i didn't want to ruin that experience but anyway my point being is so now i knew all of this and then i was like right now what can i do so then i automated the whole thing so now i like again to answer your question like how do i get in touch with all these guys yeah so i'm also in the business of adding value first and then commercializing second so i want to give before i receive and so same story, but now I'm using automated LinkedIn sequencing technology to automate my outreach to mid-market CEOs of technology companies in North America, as an example. So it just sends the story to these guys without me being there. So I've automated the entire thing. And all I have to do is respond to like questions. There are a lot. <laughs> but, but that's it, you know, like, and I think about that and I call it like the automated influence system because now I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. And now what I've done is I've added in podcast hosts, same thing, targeting podcast hosts, same story. Hey man, I'll interview you, you interview me. Yeah. Um, and so now, and I've gotten onto some pretty massive shows, right? And this is what I mean by influence. If I'd gone, hey man, I run a show, you know, let, I want to come on your show first. Right. Do you see what I mean? Like, how would that be elevating them or giving them a, an opportunity for where it's a win-win? Do you see what I'm saying? Or I could have gone, hey, why don't I interview you? You can promote your podcast on my show. You pay me $500. And that's what people do. Like they're so caught up in like the short term win. Like they want to make money as fast as fucking possible. Yeah. And they're not thinking about what that impact actually is. In other words, like most of the, I've like, okay, let's take those 222 shows that went yeah. out this year. What could I do with 222 uh, relationships with CEOs? A lot. Yeah, without a yeah, doubt. I'm like, I could, you know, go ask for three referrals each. There you go. I've got 666 new leads for the show. Yeah. You know, you close, you know, 10% of those at 66 new clients. But I haven't asked for any money. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so, so I think the point being is that the longer you can delay asking for cash or the longer you can delay commercializing your relationships, and just giving, 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 the bigger the payoff will be. So rather think long-term than just try and win quick as possible, as much as possible, you know? Yeah, I like that. And I think that when there is a, whenever there's a deal involved beforehand, it takes, it, it fundamentally changes the intention of the conversation. 
if I come to you and I'm like, look, man, I'll give you, give me a thousand bucks and you will be on this thing. All of a sudden now you're looking for what, okay, I've paid you money, George. What am I going to get? And that changes the conversation it, on some level, whoever's elevated on some levels, looking down at the other person that changes the whole dynamic of the conversation. It changes the way the audience sees it, changes the words you use. It changes the whole environment of it. And I think that, that makes for a, a shitty conversation that makes for, you know, something that is consumable, but it's like fast food. It's like you said earlier, this author is super amazing. Look at this. It's like getting a, a side of French fries or something like that, where you could have a, a personal chef make you an original meal. You know, you're not worried about the ingredients. You're worried about like the whole, the whole yeah. shebang there, man. It's, it's an interesting thing. I, I think it's moving in that way. At least the successful shows, the shows that I like, it's a real conversation between people and like, you don't, you don't exactly know what's going to happen. And it's not going to be a, a 40 minute fluff piece on the new book that came out. It's going to be, well, who is this person? Why did they write it? Why, why should I even read this book? Who cares what they say? Why should I care mm -hmm. what they say? It's, it's much more interesting, right? Yeah. Listen, I get pitched a lot here, eh? George, like a lot. Um, and like podcast booking agencies, you know, uh, publishers with the network of authors that they've you know they need to get the word out about these books uh pr firms i hate pr firms <laughs> um <laughs> like and they're like hey i represent mm -hmm. you know george gregan and he's yeah. written this incredible book called x and he's also the ceo of such and such a company which makes him an awesome fit for your audience yeah <laughs> you know, and it's like, really? Really? Okay, cool. So what do I get? What are you doing for me? How are you elevating me? Because I don't need authors, dude. I don't need CEOs. Like, like I said, for me, it's about curation of who I want to talk to. Yeah. Unless there's a specific strategy or objective around it. Like I want to grow my network, grow my business, and that's why I want to talk to mm -hmm. these particular dudes. Um, but these guys, these PR firms, these podcast booking agencies – um are a pain in the fucking ass because you bust your balls right for 10 years building an audience mm -hmm. and then they want it for free it's yeah. like no you don't get it that way that's not yeah. how the world works bro what are you doing for me if you're not actually going to pay me money right which is what i think i deserve if you're right. wanting free pr exposure quote unquote um, and you want to leverage my equity why is it for free if you're trying to raise money for uh, as a startup you're right. It doesn't come for free, dude. Like they're going to take a pound of flesh, which yeah. is your equity. <laughs> so for me, it's like do something for me. So as an example, how about this? What if you gave away 50 copies of your book to my audience for free? What if you put uh, $500 or $250 on the table to advertise the interview to your mm -hmm. networks to promote me too? So in other words, you're not actually giving me money, but you're prepared right. to put money on the table right. to make the interview with me super successful. What if uh, you gave away something for free, like not just books, but maybe a free a free coaching session that proves that you're a super ding dong guy, you know? Yeah. Um, and so this is what I mean. It's like these guys, I don't understand what planet they're on. It's like it doesn't come for free. Like nothing is for free. You have to actually elevate others. And that's what I'm saying. It's like influence this idea of, well, I'm going to come on too much like, for, for free, dude. Come for nothing. Come. Right. And no matter what happens, yeah. you'll be in my network. 
Um, and so these PR firms and podcast booking agencies and so forth, they actually don't know how to deal with platform owners. They really don't. Like the other day I was contacted by uh, Authors Unite. So they're like a massive company and all they do is books, like best-selling books, podcast tours and stuff like that. And they were like, yo, we've got all these authors, you know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, blah, blah. And, you know, we're looking for a partner who can help us to promote their stories. Right. And so it was more of a partnership led thing rather than, hey, we've got this, you know, 50 Wall Street Journal number one best selling authors and we'd like to give you access to them. It's like, no, they were <laughs> like, dude, what do you need? How can we help? How can we help you to, you know, scale your audience or could we maybe do some kind of red card exchange? I said to them, cool, I'll tell you what, tell me about your podcasters. So where do you place people, nonfiction writers? because mm. uh, I'm also an author. Um, and they were like, you know, top 5% business shows in the world. I'm like, cool, how much does that cost? And they're like, what well, starts at eight and a half grand per month. So I'm like, well, what do you get for that? And then you get 15 uh, placements for eight and a half. I was like, fuck, that's not that bad. Yeah. Tell you what, I'll interview your authors for free, but that's what I want. I'd like you to place me on these shows. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And, and their whole scale model is actually not about selling books or producing books. It's partners. They've, they've scaled their entire company through partnerships. If you look at Microsoft or any big OEM, or original equipment manufacturer, uh, SAP, Workday, like Nutanix, whatever, they all have what? Partners. Their whole thing is we're not going to go after the mid-market ourselves as Microsoft is too expensive. By the way, who's going to support, you know, 25 million customers on Azure? <laughs> well, it's not going to be us. Mm -hmm. It cuts away from our margins. So what we'll do is we'll actually give the partner channel $10,000 each per quarter to market their business to the small business owners so that they can sell Azure or whatever, right? And so that, so if you think about like, the, and by the way, Microsoft's like a three and a half trillion dollar market cap company through partners. <laughs> so this is what I'm saying. So to your point, I do think it is changing and people need to approach um, this uh, idea of scaling whatever you're trying to do, elevating others first. That's for me what influence really is about. Yeah, that's really well said, man. I appreciate that. It's, it's, from the front lines, you get to see what's happening. I, 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 sometimes I see the, the PR people too come in and it's interesting when you, when you, when you think to yourself, like who's saying yes to the PR people. And then you talk to a guest and they're like, this is a great podcast. The other ones have been, I've been horrible. And you're like, yeah, cause they're all free. You know, mm. the PR people are hooking up like pretty well-known authors with podcasters that don't normally get guests. Like those are the podcasters that are saying yes, like the people that don't have guests. So you're gonna partner this guy from Georgetown University who's a best-selling teacher with a guy who's got a podcast for like the last three months. And it's like, uh, you guys are great. You know, like the questions and the, the conversation that happens there. It's fun, it's it's it blows my mind to see how fast the market is changing and to see the PR firms going, holy cow. We have to start paying these podcasters to get our guests on there. And then their whole market just kind of dries up, right? Yeah. So let me tell you what's going on there. So you're okay. a PR firm. Okay. I'll tell you exactly what's going on there. Okay. So you're a PR firm. I, let's say I'm the PR guy. Okay. So I bring, uh, there's Lydia Hall there. Thanks for your comments. Uh, so let's say Lydia is my client. Okay. And okay. you there are the podcast host. Okay. So Lydia is my client. George, you the podcast guy. Okay. Okay. So I'm the PR firm. So Lydia pays me 
six, seven, ten, fifteen thousand dollars a month. What's she paying me for? She's paying me to get her exposure. She wants to have her story on reputable platforms, reputable sites, you know, WSJ, TechCrunch, whatever is relevant to her. Um, and so let's just say she's paying me 10 grand a month. So in the PR space, what they are measuring you on, or what I'm being measured on in this example is something called earned media. In other words, how much free eyeballs did I get mm. by paying you 10 grand a month, right? So, um, and unfortunately what happens is PR firms have to show results like anybody else, but exposure is very intangible, right? It's like that. So if you, how do you calculate earned media? So it's like red card multiplied by number of eyeballs equals earned media. But I'm, but the Lydia as the, as the business owner, she wants like revenue, dude, right. <laughs> like being famous and broke sucks. Trust me. I've been there. <laughs> okay. Um, and so what inevitably happens is they just want to put guys on podcasts so that, or in this case, Lydia, I need to put Lydia on a show, on your show specifically, just to prove that the 10 grand she just gave me is actually paying off, that I'm doing the work. But let's just say, George, your show only is like, it's not, in, it's not even in the top 2% or 1%. Right. It's in like in the top 50. So how much value is that really if you if you don't really have a lot of eyeballs? Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So they'll just place you anywhere. They'll do anything to keep that retainer going. And then the hook there is, well, how much earned media did we give you in a, in a, in a quarter? Now, every CEO I know fires their PR firm after three months, like between three to six months, because eventually they run out of shit to do. Like the, the ROI is just not there. Like I don't actually understand what the value of a PR firm is unless they are uh, you know, working with a listed company with shareholders and they need a wordsmith press releases mm -hmm. and things like this. Like I know loads of guys running NASDAQ listed uh, companies yeah. and it's just the press release and that's why they pay a PR firm. It's like, I don't understand. Like PR firms, you know, when the internet first had sex and social media happened, like before then, PR made sense, right? Because there was nowhere to tell your story. You couldn't do it yourself. You couldn't buy an ad and reach a million people. Nothing could go viral, right? Yeah. And so PR, the discipline of PR, which is reputation management, now sits with me. It sits with everybody else. So I think the PR function as a discipline is, is literally dead, unless yeah. you're Microsoft and you mm. have to protect your reputation. So mm. like uh, the GPT uh, OpenAI sub story with... Uh, you know, Sam and that. Um, and then, you know, going to Microsoft, like that's a PR nightmare. <laughs> when you lose $60 billion of value over a weekend, that's mm -hmm. a nightmare. So you need a PR firm to control the narrative. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think in those high value, high stakes situations, absolutely, PR has a place. But for everybody else, which is 99% of area, like why? But startups do it because they feel like they can't do it themselves. Um, and that for me, that whole mindset needs to change. Mm. How do you see it changing? How do you see it changing? Well, everybody now is a media company. It's already changed. It's like yeah. <laughs> now yeah. it's about like what I call influence systems. It's like, what can you, so in other words, the, the idea with the insight around systems is this, you never, if you're running a million dollar business and you want to get to five or 2 million, you don't just get there be nice, we'd all be driving Ferraris and we'd all be super successful, right? And there'd be zero failure. But the reality is very different. We do fail. And in fact, we always gravitate down towards our systems. And then the same applies for sales systems, marketing systems, like whatever the particular context is. But when it comes to your personal influence, 
influence systems are the same. They are the same. Um, and so when you think about your ability now to reach and influence the entire online community is essentially, why are so few people successful at that? Why? Surely if everybody can reach everybody else, you know, like it's there, the mechanics are there. So why not? And the, re and the answer is, is because people are not thinking about the how properly. Like they think, oh, I'm just buy an ad. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. Instagram ads are ridiculous these days. I clicked yeah. on one <laughs> for like, like an, like a SDR firm. And now I'm inundated with it. Like I can't, like it's every second video is like, I will book you a hundred thousand appointments in like, uh, you know, 12 months or you won't pay, you know? And it's like, hang on, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. You know? So I think the world has completely changed. And so in my book, Secrets of Influence, I share literally frameworks to do this shit. And I talk about, you know, media platforms and influence systems um, and thought leadership and how to create synergies around these opportunities to position yourself as not only just a person of influence, but also a leader in your field. Because mm -hmm. I believe today that influence is the currency of future business leadership. Like, it's amazing. Because like, everyone's like, oh, it's influencer. You must have a million followers. Like, no, dude, you don't. You used to need a thousand true fans. Now you need a hundred. That's all you need. And so people need to change their whole association to what influence actually is. Um, and forget about the old ways, which is press release. I don't know, literally in the right. book, I write about all these things like press releases, webinars, you know, GPT even. Like why are these things not conducive to true influence? And, and I give ideas and examples around how things can change with the press release, how things could change. You know, so I'm not saying these disciplines are dead, but I'm saying the way that we think about them needs to change. Going back to your original question yeah. around creative, cre the creator right. economy, it's like you have to change the way you think about these uh, these platforms and these systems. So, so here's an interesting thought that I've been thinking about lately and having some conversations about. You know, when we look, a lot of people think that the internet is like Google or Amazon or like these platforms. They don't realize that there's an underlying platform on which they're built and it seems to me that that could be in my mind's eye what i see is some of these big platforms beginning to lose their influence in that what if we build the the remember when facebook first came out and you had access to your entire audience like i could i could put something out and it would go to all my people like what how much longer before that comes back and you as an influencer, you can have 15 people and what you say about the shoes that you like, you get paid on that influence. Like your word to somebody else, because that's all trackable, right? Like I can see that Matt Brown talked to George Monty about these shoes. George talked to Bob. Bob bought the shoes. Matt Brown should get paid on that. Like I think we can track all that. And I think that once people start figuring that out and that begins to show its face, these big companies begin kind of falling away. They'll be like, holy crap, we're taking all the revenue for us. Why aren't we paying the people at the top in the middle of the funnel? Can you see that potentially making its way forward? For sure, man. Again, it's about, right. yeah, man. I mean, I think you, you mentioned that the first time we met, right? Um, I do think like, so here's the thing. These platforms like Facebook and LinkedIn, like they get for profit, right? So right. they want you to spend advertising dollars. That's what they want. So as an example, you have to pay, you know, a dollar to build an audience. And then over, you know, 365 days, let's just say you spend, you know, whatever, $10,000 building this audience. And now you have 10,000 followers. Okay. So then you, then you, then you're like, okay, well, let me just 
post a video and I'm sure all 10,000 followers will, will see it, but they don't obviously it's like 0.1%. Right. <laughs> so it's like, hang on. So I've just spent 10 grand building this audience. And now you want me to spend more money reaching the same people I just paid to reach in the first place. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So like on what planet does that make sense? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> what planet does that make sense? So I'll tell you another story. So I was off social for a year, right? And okay. um, when, uh, and that, the, but I was, you know, I was doing shows and I was doing this series called Secrets of Fail. And uh, mm -hmm. it was like 150 interviews and the book came out and we had a massive body of work, like a lot of content. It was like 300 different assets. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we released all of them over 10 days. Dude, let me tell you, the organic reach was insane. And in fact, the amounts of people that I reached purely from organic content, the, we spoke about economics, the cost of that was way lower than if I would paid advertising dollars to do the same job. Think about that. And it was just content, just organic content. So people seem also seem to underestimate just how much content you need to put out today. They're like, no, one post a, a day because I don't want to piss off my followers. It's like, no, piss them off. <laughs> Seriously, piss them off. Be more aggressive because literally, man, like in a week I was booked on, you know, 10 podcasts um, from like nothing, like zero. Um, and people then the one someone pushes play on the video guess what next time they go to linkedin what do they see in the next video right and so if they don't like what you have to say well fuck them yeah. <laughs> i care yeah. about the one person that does yeah you see what i mean um mm -hmm. and so that's what i'm saying if you think differently about these things i'm not saying don't advertise I'm, I'm, there's a hundred percent a place right. for that but then you've got to really know your message you have to have a very clear strategy you need to be testing different messaging sets you need to be purely re like relentlessly focused on the one message that works better than the other hundred that you tested. And then you need to have systems, right? That can capture that, that funnel, that demand. And then you have to have a sales process that you can then commercialize. So if you haven't figured all that stuff out, stop advertising. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I think that this idea of the creative economy, like it's happening in the com uh, comedian space, like Tom, what's his name? Tom, his name tom something but uh but basically during covid they created all this comedy content and they sold it through his website mm -hmm. and they made more money doing that than through a special on netflix mm. you see what i mean yeah so it was like oh you must go to netflix you must go to facebook you know you must right. go do all these things you must go to youtube it's like no if you're the creator and you think that, and you truly have a genuine audience yep. you can commercialize it without spending yep. cents on advertising yeah. Organic content, newsletters, and the ability, and like a, a Slack channel for entrepreneurs or, you know, that custom GPT app. Imagine yeah. you had a million entrepreneurs on there yeah, and you made it available for free. Yeah. So then what you could do is you, as people are searching for like how, you know, when should I raise money or, uh, you know, how should I, how do I know how much money to borrow from a lender? So I'm getting all this insight now as an example, and it's mattbrownshow.com forward slash chat GPT app or GPT app or help or men mentor or whatever. Um, and now I can use these insights to connect people to lenders. I can connect them to venture capital firms. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, and I don't yeah. need Facebook to do that. I don't or LinkedIn. Yeah. All I need is a platform, right? A great story 
and creatively thinking about different ways to add value to the audience that I care about. Yeah, it's it's exciting to to see that emerging and really beginning to understand that the power does lie with someone's imagination. Like, you know, if you have an imagination, you can create an avatar that comes up with a story that everybody falls in love with. You know what I mean? And your avatar could own shares in a company. And you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of crazy to think about how deep you can go. Maybe we mm -hmm. can talk about avatars to get a little bit more like, I've seen some interesting stuff like cure type or these these ways in which people are and probably a large percentage of news feeds are made by avatars, right? Like people are creating avatars that create content for them. Like that's kind mm. of mind blowing to think about on some level. Yeah, it is. I think that uh, the generative AI story is just getting going. Yeah. Um, I mean, <clears throat> if you get this, uh, I can pull it up for you guys. Yeah, sure. Like, yeah, actually, uh, there was this uh, ad, funny enough, that I saw on LinkedIn. And there was this guy, and he was the founder. Uh, it's called Omneki. Yeah, I'll put it on the Okay. I think you'll present the chat the for everybody. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you guys can all have a look at this. But I mean, <clears throat> so basically, what they do is, they do advertising optimization. So you spending ads on Facebook, but you create ads creative, but you don't know what creative is working or will work, you know, uh, mm -hmm. or what's currently working based on how to find a job or how to scale my company or whatever the case is. Um, and so what that platform does, it looks at your creative and then it dynamically creates new ads using imagery on the fly based on all the other ads that they've been tracking. So that you think about that. If you have a million ads, how do you know which one's working best? We well, don't. In fact, you could only have a very small sample size, which is your 10 ads that you did. So now your 10 ads can dynamically explode to 100 ads, all with generative AI based on actual information about your industry, your target audience, and what's working. And you don't have to do anything. You just go play. Like, think about that. It's mind blowing. It's just getting going. I mean, there was this another, yeah, another example was for influencers. Let's say you are a yoga studio, right? And you want to have a professional shoot or artwork for your Instagram to sell your yoga studio services or what have you. So what would you have to do in the past? Well, you'd have to source the models. You'd have to do a venue scout. You'd have to then pay the models, pay the venue scout, pay the crew, pay the photographer. Then you'd have to fly them out to Costa Rica or wherever the shoot is. <laughs> So now you've dropped a hundred thousand dollars for like 52 photos. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? But now with yeah. AI, there's literally models that you can go in a chat function, yoga model beach, and it will create an influencer photo based on those three words without you doing anything. So that's what I'm saying about those economies of scale. Yeah. Now, what does that mean? Well, you just saved yourself a hundred grand. In fact, you paid a hundred dollars and you were able to do it at a fraction of the time also. Yeah. But what does that now mean? So this is what I'm saying. So I think this whole creator economy is just, it's literally going to be turned upside down with, with AGI genuinely. And the opportunities will come to those who are thinking about how to do things differently. And not like, oh, well, I need to have a thousand people, you know, right. or 10,000 followers on Twitter. It's like, fuck, no, you don't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you genuinely don't, yeah. right? Like, and again, like, it's farcical to think that 
you have to pay to reach your followers. Like what? Nah. Yeah, I heard I heard a quote one time that was people shouldn't be afraid about AI taking their job. They should be afraid about someone who knows how to use AI taking their job. Right? Yeah. Like that's that scaffolding is is falling away. Now we're coming up on about an hour, man. How you doing on time? Uh yeah, man, I'm good. Okay. Here's an interesting one that I've been thinking about. So when we look at the way in which AI and the changing business landscape platform influence, we look at how that's changing. What does that mean for supply chains? On some level, those are connected, but not a whole lot of people are talking about that. Uh, do you mean AI and supply chain specifically? You know, well, let me let me try to broaden the question a little bit. Like, you know, it seems that from what I have seen, people are finding ways. That a lot of the influence now have gone from using and selling big brand stuff to supporting their neighbor or starting their own project. And I think that that is, that is making the supply chain smaller. So rather than repping a water bottle mm -hmm. that somebody made in China and is selling to Ohio and it gets marketed through New York and then finally comes to Hawaii, I'm going to market my neighbor's water bottle. And I think that that's shrinking the supply chains, which is having a really interesting effect on local economies. Is that too far out there, man? Am I way out in George world right now? Or have you seen something <laughs> similar? Or what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't really have a, a, a sort of a unique point of view on, yeah. on that. You know, I think everything's going is changing. You know, it's yes. like, like Elon Musk said, I think he's like, he said one day AI will be able to do everything. Right. So then what, what, what would you actually do? Think about that. Let's say that I'll change the frame of it. So okay. do you know what universal basic income is? I do. So UBI, no one's been able to solve that. So AGI comes along in 2024 and someone goes, come up with a universal basic income model that's scalable, that works, that hits these things, blah, blah, blah. And then AGI solves it because it's way more intelligent than every human on the planet put together. So now it's able to do things that you, like one person could never do, let alone a million, like a billion people thinking right. about UBI, which is never a probability. But now AGI has just done that. So now imagine this for a moment. So UBI is now an, a real thing. And everybody in the world is no longer starving. Wonderful. Right. It's just one thing. So now they're able to make enough income through whatever the solution is so that they don't actually have to work. It's a choice. Yeah. So what would we do if we didn't all need, you know, I mean, obviously it's, it's all context depend on nuance. Like I wouldn't want to live on $5 a day, but okay. If AGI or AI had solved pretty much all the jobs to be done that, you know, were easy and it freed up all this time that we had, what would we do with our time? What would we actually be fo focusing on? And I believe it would be meaning. How do I give my life meaning? Because, well you know, uh, like, why do we, why are we entrepreneurs? Why do we build businesses? Because it's hard. Someone said something really cool to me that day, and I can't remember, but but basically we're talking about meaning and purposeness. Um, and it's about meaning. We I, I build businesses because I would if I took a job, it would literally kill my soul. Because I I would know that I was never living up to my potential. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so there's when you suffer, meaning is associated with that unconsciously. It's like if you uh, go to gym and you work out and you suffer. You have you put meaning into that. The same thing when you suffer with your your children or your relationships or you or your business is suffering or whatever. You have a bad quarter. Yeah. And so this idea of suffering actually gives our lives purpose. 
It's like, I'm here to sit in this purpose because I know I want to provide for my family, right? I need to provide them X. And if I, if I'm not able to do that, right, then what's, what does that mean for me? You see? So we, we, it's this meaning we're meaning making machines. And so I think the creator economy is like, fuck, what if the ads weren't about like just how to add revenue to your business, but how could you, uh, you know, achieve a new definition of success as an entrepreneur, meaning the world's changed. It used to be about how much money you could make. But in many cases, I know many guys super wealthy that suck <laughs> at their marriage. Like they're, they're not present with their kids. Their kids won't talk to them because the guy wasn't there, but he's super wealthy. Then also he's been divorced four times. This is an actual billionaire <laughs> that I know. Uh, you know, and so, so true success for me is now getting wealthy or having financial freedom, but also to be able to be successful in at home, right? With your personal relationships. Um, and there's so much talk about like work-life balance and, you know, work-work balance and is there balance? How do you get balance? Well, you know, point is, you know, it's, it's cost. Something is going to cost you more than what you gain. And only when you get older do you realize actually what's important? So like when you were, when I was in my 20s, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a billionaire. And then when I was in my 30s, I was like, yeah, probably not going to be a billionaire. And now I'm in my 40s, like I don't give a fuck. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And so your frame changes, but this idea of AI and, you know, changes the whole world. And what would you actually do? It would be about finding meaning and purpose. And I think there's a big opportunity for creators to execute on that. You know, how do you find, I mean, mental health is such a big issue, isn't it? Uh, it's everywhere. Like everyone's not talking about this, you know, depression, anxiety, you know, and it's, a lot of it's through social media and bullying this and that. And so I think the opportunity for, for many creators is to actually help people find meaning and purpose in a world that's going to be automated. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, it's really well said. It's, on some levels, I mean, you, you don't really have to squint your eyes that hard to see it happening. You know, when you you see people that are, like you said, you'd mentioned individuals, and I, the people that I know are really wealthy. You can apply the idea of you can't serve two masters. People that have found a way to become really wealthy usually are divorced multiple times. They've usually had to choose business or money over their family because if you want to build something of that magnitude, you're probably not going to be able to have the long conversations with your wife about your kid's ballet or your kid's soccer game, you know, and that's what ruins relationships. You, people have to give up one to get the other to get that. And it's interesting that you bring up AI like that. Cause I, I, I think that you're already seeing it on some level. Like you're seeing a massive displacement in the workforce. Like we are in the midst of a crippling depression. I would argue on some level right now, like you're seeing people just cast aside, like, Jobs are being cut left and right, and that's why you see all this fear porn on TV. But the first phase is like, holy shit, now that I'm not making money, what does that mean about me? I thought I was the provider of my family. I'm supposed to be the man of the family. Guess what? I don't have a job. Mm -hmm. Am I still the man of the family? Mm -hmm. What does my wife think? What does my kid think? How am I going to pay for tuition? You know, All of a sudden, this crisis of identity creeps into people. And I think that that has to be a phase as we move towards a universal basic investment or a universal basic income. But before it gets better, it's got to, it's people got to go to that dark night of the soul, right? When that, that might look crazy on a grand scale, man. What do you think? Mm. Yeah. Dude, it's a big question, man. You asked I the big it. question, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I, gotta, I got you here, man. I can't waste my time with small questions. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. 
Um, I think it's, look, again, just uh, this whole, no one really has the answers. I mean, I like, know. this is why I hate futurists so much. Because if you have nothing interesting to say, become a futurist, you know. <laughs> so, like, a futurist basically goes to, like, you know, Google's AI trends right. and blockchain, right. you know, this. And then he goes, well, this is what I found. You know, here's, here's AI and yeah. creators. Here's AI and this and that. So suddenly they're a qualified futurist. It's like fuck off. <laughs> you're not qualified at all, dude. You just that you're a researcher. <laughs> you're not a futurist. You don't know the future. Who knows the future? You know what I mean? And then I love the best part of these guys is when they make predictions. I predict that by mm. 2030, uh, and every single time they're wrong. Mm. You know. Uh, but the point being, it's like, well, let's wait and see. Like you can't yeah. be on the sidelines while this. Right, the world is changing. You have to be in the center of it, in as, in as many ways as possible. You know. Yeah, it's interesting to see. I I like to take a look around and and just see what's happening in your environment and your neighbors, and then you know you can kind of act accordingly. But I, I I hear you on the futurist. If if people think they can tell the future just look at the weather channel like we can't even predict what's going to happen tomorrow let alone two days from now or a year from now you know but like i guess that brings into the question of models like what's what's the purpose of you know modeling stuff then you know when you start looking at it from that angle yeah um do you mean business models or modeling yeah people? like like on some level isn't business models and you know if, if you're looking at projections and business models I mean, you might as well be throwing chicken bones, right? Mm. <laughs> might as well be. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, modeling here. Yeah. Jeez. Well, like, what do you do? Like, when you when you look at models, like, is that something that you incorporate into your business strategy? I mean, you can look at trends, but even still, though, like, it's it's nah. it's still a, a. You might as well flip a coin, man. Yeah. Um, no, dude, I don't model anything. I mean, I get asked a lot, you know, should I start a bit like write a business plan? It's like, yeah, you can, but it's a great exercise in theoric, theoretical mm -hmm. thinking, right? You know, <laughs> you're going to forget about that the moment you're actually in market. Um, mm -hmm. so, I mean, I suppose that's probably a, a version of modeling. I think probably the one, uh, modeling I do value is commercial modeling. Mm -hmm. So being able to know how much to charge for a particular service or product, you know, yes. Point. Um, or how much money to raise from an investor at a particular valuation. You know, I think probably the only modeling that makes sense for me is either modeling successful people or modeling commercials. So commercial mm -hmm. models, because the, the one thing that changes a business more than anything else is the value proposition and the commercials attached to it. It's like if you change one thing, changes everything in the future. <laughs> so if you want to like predict the future, like model your historical commercials, you know, because also a lot of uh, general partners from venture capital firms uh, that I've had on the show, um, a lot of, they said, I said to him, you know, what's the number one reason you don't actually back a startup? And he goes, well, many of them have said, most of them, in fact, was like, well, they're too aggressive in their forecast. They think they're going to be a billion <laughs> you know, $10 billion company in six months. Hmm. Um, and then they're like, hang on, this guy is smoking his socks. You know, he's clearly not on planet earth and I don't want to yeah. back someone that's not a realist, hmm. you know? Um, so I think certainly in the entrepreneurship space, commercial modeling more than anything else, you know? Um, and I suppose maybe now with AI, it's like modeling, you know, models, different language models for different use cases and things like that. 
but that wasn't a thing Thanksgiving last year. <laughs> yeah. Now it's a thing for everybody. Um, so, so yeah, that's what I'd say, man. What about cross? What about the idea of finding venture capital in different cultures? Like you have been somewhere where you uh, you started in South Africa, and then, yep, you started in South Africa, and you moved around. Have you noticed? there's different ways to, to find capital. Are there, is there certain, are there certain types of criteria that every place is looking for that people could kind of use as a, as a map? Yeah. There's a, there's a formula to everything, you know, especially when it comes to raising money. So there's a, there's a structure like we do these investment shows for some startups and stuff, right. but there's a structure of, the, the thing is, it's not about the valuation. It's not about the, you know, what goes into your pitch deck. It's about the structure of information. That's mm -hmm. more important than the information itself. So in other words, people are wired to consume information in a particular way. So this yeah. is why some movies suck and some movies are great is because, you know, the like 10 minutes in, you're like, what? <laughs> this movie sucks yeah because of the millions of shows that you've watched and episodes that you've watched your mind is wired for a story right it's wired right. structure of information so in a, when it comes to raising money and in fact trying to do anything to get your message to land there's a there's a framework that i use um and it was shared f uh, by a friend of mine rich maholland the guy actually mentioned yeah. it up in front but um it's called care believe no do so give them reasons to care Give them reasons to believe, tell them what they need to know, and tell them what you want them to do. There's obviously many other frameworks like P3, like problem, product, proof, as an example. Uh, but if you're trying to sell anything and you just think about, well, what's the structure first? What's the story that I'm trying to get across to an investor? What's the story I'm trying to get across to my business partner or a prospect? Um, and so recognizing that it's about the structure of information first, not the information itself. And what people fall into in, ter in terms of a solution trap is they want to overload you with information as an investor. They want to give you all of the, the future P&Ls from like, you know, 2028, which is so far away. Um, and, uh, and also in sales presentations, it's like, how much information can I bore my prospect with? Because <laughs> mm. they think that the more they, information they provide, the better the pitches, but that's not true. In fact, you should be able to, to learn um, how to sell something in, in less than three minutes. Um, there was a guy I had on the show, Brent Pinvidich or something like that. I can't pronounce his, uh, his surname. Uh, but he wrote the book, The Three-Minute Rule. He had sold over 300 digital television shows in less than three minutes. Wow. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm saying. Like there's commonalities, right? Whether you're t selling a TV show right. or whether you're selling, uh, trying to raise capital or selling a Azure <laughs> software license, uh, you know, if you recognize that there are principles and patterns and frameworks that people will use all over the world, you know, and in fact, nothing's really new anymore. Nothing's really new. You're not going to go create a business or a product or a service that's new. You're not. You're going to take an existing service and do it better. <laughs> yeah. That's what most people do. Um, and so, so yeah, it's structure of information rather than information overload. I love it, man. I appreciate it, Matt. It's been awesome, man. I, I really enjoy the conversation. Stoked to get you in here and and get to hear things that other people may not get to hear. And I uh, appreciate the information. I appreciate the hard work, and I appreciate you coming on, man. But before I let you go, what do you got coming up? Where can people find you? What are you excited about? 
Um, well, you can find me anywhere. Just Google Matt Brown Show. Uh, you'll find me wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll probably leave you with the quote. Yeah. Plato once said that uh, any any man that doesn't learn to cultivate his own influence will be ruled eventually by lesser men. So think about your influence um, and how you can start scaling that because the world will be a better place if you do. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out. Go down to the show notes. Check out Matt. He's got over almost a thousand episodes, tons of information in there. Check out all the new stuff he's got going on. The links will be down there. And that's all we got for today, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you had a wonderful day, and I hope you have a great tomorrow. That's all we got. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that... I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, Go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.